Alex, I'm pleased to announce the Giant Bomb has made the decision to hire you on full-time. Guys, this has been a dream for so long. For so long. For so long. I'm very You and proud. Yoshi have been hired as the new Giant Bomb uh, announcement today. I know there's been a lot of speculation about it. Uh, uh, Jeff's actions in the last... Uh, in the last year or so, have just been a smokescreen. Let's finally just get that green guy back on board. It's been a swerve all along, but I'm glad to uh, to finally get the announcement out there. I'm ready to finally start uh, start in on my job. And uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <sighs> yeah, so there's some stuff going on on the site. Not, uh, not ours to announce. Nope. I'm sure there'll be news soon in some capacity. Yeah, seems uh, likely. How was your weekend? It was all right. Uh, let's see, what did I do this weekend? Uh, I played a lot more Shovel Knight, which uh, I don't really have much to add to anything I said on Friday about that game. Uh, as I go deeper and deeper into it, I'm enjoying it more and more. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the challenge level in that game is something that I think is actually pretty spectacular. Uh, we've talked before about how like the controls are really good, the mechanics are all really good. But it's just that right level of tough to where I feel like I can get over the hump without just getting super frustrated. Like, it's that Mega Man 2 and 3 kind of level of hard, I feel like. Their, 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 their checkpoint system is really well done yeah. as well. And, and, and I, I like the fact that you can destroy the checkpoints. Yes. You can break them. So if, if you there's an achievement, well, a feat is what they call it. I'm sure it'll be an achievement if it ever comes to... Well, I guess it's on Steam. They're still called feats there. Anyway, uh, the, yeah, one of the uh, the feats is to destroy all of the checkpoints in the game, which then means you have to uh, finish those games in you know a more traditional manner uh, that you would have for a lot of those uh, games back in the day where it's just you get to beginning to end... I get maybe there's a checkpoint, you know, at the boss or something. But by and large, you just need to kind of get through the gauntlet. And and Shovel Knight has some really, uh, you always feel like you make it through just enough screens where you're starting to sweat it, and you're very thankful that that checkpoint has showed up. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely like in the early goings. I thought, oh well, you know, I'm doing well in these 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 bit early levels, so I'm just gonna start destroying some of these checkpoints, see what happens. Then a couple of them started fucking me over where I, I realized that there is actually some considerable risk involved with 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 getting rid of those so uh finding the right balance between uh well that was super easy and oh god i never want to do that again is is a nice little little trick there um yeah i still got a little ways to go in that one but uh i am enjoying the hell out of it so far that was actually the game i probably spent the most time with this weekend uh i downloaded a couple of things from the uh the the Steam sale, but I have not actually played any of it because I mostly just played Shovel Knight and uh, uh, fucking more Hearthstone. Because goddamn it, whenever I'm just laying on the couch, that is just the thing that keeps that I just keep popping open for no goddamn reason. Uh, I just losing all the hours to that game still. The, in in Shovel Knight, the if you haven't used it yet, you should learn to abuse it uh, mm -hmm. because th this I didn't get into this as much. Uh, in, in my review, but as I started thinking more about how I felt about the game's difficulty and, you know, just being being that I'm a huge fan of these types of games, I've played a lot of them, so, you know, like, my perception of easy is different than, you know, others, which is why I don't even really knock the game. I think it has a pretty brilliant difficulty curve. I was just looking for something, you know, a little, little harder, but the phase locket, you can really break that game using the phase locket. It's balanced pretty well, but the phase locket, you know, is that, have you gotten that item? I have gotten that item. I haven't fucked around okay. with it too much yet, but yeah, I have it. Yeah, so you should learn to fuck around with the, the phase locket. The okay. phase locket uh, allows you to become invincible for a brief moment in time, uh, and you can execute the phase locket before you have phased out of the phase locket. So you can sort of, you can uh, combo together uh, some pretty decent stretches of time where you cannot be hurt, and that includes, you know, the only thing that can kill you at that point uh, is a pit of death. Mm -hmm. The spikes, uh, you know, which can otherwise take you on one hit, you know, you can just walk along spikes when you have uh, the face lock. And what I found was that moments where I'd get into trouble, especially with a boss, 
I just flip on the phase locket, and that would, you know, you can just sit there, put the phase locket on, and then just whack away at the guy, and I could get, you know, half the health of of a boss done in a couple of uses of the phase locket. Like, I found that, that item to be uh, a little much, but also, you know, I always try and weigh that against, well, for folks that maybe normally find these games frustrating and wish stuff like that didn't exist, uh, maybe that's a sort of an equalizer that allows them to enjoy a game I like this a little bit more. I think you just said the words phase lock it so many times that it just sort of started to turn mm-hmm. into white noise. Like I just stopped hearing what you were actually saying, but I, I do understand what you're, you're, you're presenting to me. And yes, you're right. I should probably take more advantage of that. Uh, just lock it up. Especially now that I, uh, okay. That was going to happen. Wasn't it? All right. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of my video game weekend. Uh, the rest of the time I went and saw Snowpiercer on Saturday. Uh, how was that? I didn't get a chance to watch that this weekend because my wife and I have gotten sucked into Orange is the New Black, which took up the time that we would normally be watching uh, a movie during the weekend. Right. But is it good? It is. I want it to be good. It is really good. Uh, okay. It's, it's Bong Joon-ho who made The Host, which I imagine you've seen uh, yep. being a monster movie. Uh, and he also made a movie called Mother a few years ago, which was like a sort of... Uh, drama psychological thriller type thing which I actually think is his best movie uh, yeah Mother's good Mother, Mother is, is amazing it's very very different than the host but very different than kind of the, the other stuff he's made uh, but it's 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 pretty spectacular this is his first English language uh, directed movie it has a really intense cast that includes uh, Chris Evans uh, Tilda Swinton uh, like Allison Pill, uh, John Hurt, a uh, variety of other people, like like Octavia Spencer's in it, and it's you know it's a sci-fi movie set in a near future scenario where we try to combat global warming with some sort of chemical that accidentally freezes the Earth, uh, and the only people who are still alive on this Earth are people who have taken up on this uh, rattling arc, uh, which is a train that was built by a crazy billionaire. Uh, that is has a self-propelling engine and is the only thing... Because, sure. Yeah, why not? (laughs) Just fuck it, why not? And it's the only thing that uh, is keeping them from freezing to death outside. Uh, And so the whole thing is just a giant class metaphor. Like, the the rich and the the powerful live up front. Uh, The poor live in the back and are just sort of used at the pleasure of the rich. Uh, And it is literally about the, 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 the poor fighting their way up car by car to the front as best they can in in a sort of revolution. Uh, and while the metaphor is very obvious uh, in a way that sometimes can be bad in these kinds of movies, uh, the actual storytelling and the characters and the acting and just kind of the pacing of all of it is exceedingly well done. Uh, it, it definitely wears its politics on its sleeve, but it presents them in a way that is not super obnoxious and uh well just obnoxious that like it in a lot of ways it is probably the movie that Elysium should have been in that mm. it, it it is a much smarter much more interesting movie uh that it kind of goes beyond just that basic premise of we're going to fight our way to the top um so I I definitely appreciate it a lot more than than that movie um it, it doesn't all work. There are some pieces that if you sit there and you try and think about them a little too much, like they, they definitely don't fit together. But uh, it's about as exciting a movie I've seen in theaters in a good long while, uh, especially this year where there really hasn't been very much that's gotten me that excited. There's been a couple of fun things here and there, but there haven't been like a lot of really good, like exciting action movies. That was definitely one where it's like, these fight sequences are super brutal in a way that I have not seen in a movie in a good long while. And the, the, the just sort of like the, the design and the production of, of the whole thing like is, is pretty incredible. Uh, I would definitely recommend you check that out. And I frankly, I'd probably recommend it to just about anyone. Yeah. I, the, I think the trailers for that movie have been pretty bad. I think the trailers have really played up the kooky sci-fi concept yeah. that is, is, you know, what seems to be from what you're saying just a loose you know justification for telling a more high concept class struggle story right uh, as a, as opposed to you know the trailers and obviously this film if you've read about the drama with you know the the Weinstein company and the script and stuff like that you know it wouldn't surprise me if the marketing is not necessarily 100% reflective of 
you know, what seems to be at the heart of this film because, like, the sci-fi stuff didn't really, like, yeah, this perpetual motion engine and blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh, I can't, mm. especially with, you know, much smarter sci-fi fare coming out this summer, you know, all the reviews for, uh, this one is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or Rise of Planet of the Apes? Rise of the Planet of the I don't, you know what? I don't even know. It's, it's, it's a, the new one. Yeah. It sounds like it's amazing. The all Franco the list came one. out last, yeah, the, uh, the, all the reviews that were coming out last week for the new one sound fantastic, and that's like a you know okay, it's still within the realm of you know yeah apes becoming humans. It's a little it's you know it's sci-fi, so you just go with it. But yeah, did you see the last yeah, one the, though? Yeah, it was surprisingly good. It despite was. my uh, general disdain for uh, James Franco. Uh, I don't I don't actively hate him. He just sort of bothers me sometimes I, and so I, I like him when he's playing a ridiculous character like a spring breakers is a perfect place for yeah. a james franco yeah i don't like him as a leading man in most things i think he was good in the in the planet of the apes movie uh but in most cases when he's just like sort of like the 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 main protagonist uh that's just like a normal dude like i don't think he's very good yeah and so also i'm a huge fan of matt reeves and he wrote and directed or you know worked on the story for this this new one and uh yeah i'm i'm excited about it and yeah. all the andy circus you know caesar stuff is is fantastic i watched the leftovers last night did you i i so i was that? watching the money in the bank wrestling pay-per-view which right I that's right I that's right i should have okay all right then let's back up how how was your pay-per-view uh it was actually pretty good all things considered uh it was weird because going into the show they had only announced four matches two of which were the the main like ladder match type crazy things uh so there was a lot of weird filler in there with with like people that they had not advertised to do stuff because they just they needed to fill three hours um but even that stuff was relatively entertaining and the two ladder matches have you watched any wrestling really at all ever mm. Yeah, yeah, I in the '90s. Okay, but if you, so you know like what a ladder match is, and you know how oh, those yeah, tend to yeah. work, right? So the thing yeah. that they've done in recent years is that they've no longer just relegated it to like we put a ladder out there and they use that ladder. Like the ring is always surrounded by ladders, and there are ladders going all the way up the ramp too. So like there are times when there will be like five ladders kind of scattered throughout the ring, and people just be throwing them and swinging them around. There are people getting tossed and like power bombed onto ladders. And it is ridiculous and looks like the most painful goddamn thing in the world. Uh, they did a lot of that last night, uh, and it was pretty exciting and pretty incredible. And then John Cena won, which is never the thing. Yeah, that, that was my that was going to be my second question. John Cena won. He overcame the odds and he won as, <laughs> oh, as John he? Cena does. He had to be absolutely fair. It had been weeks since he overcame the odds. And that's like an abnormally long time for him. So. He was probably was due. due, yeah. So, mm. so not a great ending, but uh, a pretty entertaining show all around. And uh, Tina Meany and uh, Adam uh, Rosenberg from uh, Digital Trends came over and watched with us, and it was uh, it was a good time. But yeah, so I did not watch the leftovers. I have it taped. I'm gonna probably watch it tonight or tomorrow. What? How did the show find you? I'm I'm very curious about it. It's good. It is obviously if you followed the melodrama of Damon Lindelof's personal history with the backlash to Lost. It, it very much feels like a show that comes from, you know, one of the guys who, you know, when Lost was on, it was Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse. They were showrunners, but Damon Lindelof was there with J.J. Abrams when they, you know, originally broke the ideas for the show. So, you know, if you have to credit one person more than the other, it was it was more Damon Lindelof. But that guy's been, you know, flogged, lost, and then he was blamed for Prometheus, even though it seems, it really seems like Ridley Scott's the one that fucked that up. Yeah. Um... And the, if you read between the lines and all the Damon Lindelof interviews where he would talk about the script, he kind of being like, yeah, you know, sometimes you're brought into a movie and people ask you to put ideas in those movies. And because you're hired to do that, that's what you put in those movies. Not completely excusing him, but I think uh, someone was sort of dumped on unequally in that scenario. But then again, I'm a people might call me a lost apologist so I, I know I, 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 I wear lost on my sleeve. Obviously. Where I'm yes, from. very obviously. But The Leftovers, I think, even if you, you didn't care for Lost, I think it's great because it's sort of, uh, it's not, it's a show that just uses a high end, you know, a a high concept of, you know, a non-religious rapture mm -hmm. as a means to tell a really dispiriting, depressing story about the randomness and death and, like, how human behavior immediately goes 
completely wrong like the moment you start pulling out like jenga pieces of societal structure right uh, like it's it's basically like what would happen if we were all faced with something we could not explain and in most you know sci-fi tends to go with the the more or what you would think is the more interesting route of what happens in the immediate moments as society begins to unfold right and the leftovers just says ah let's move past that and it just starts three years later with society functioning you know, you know, on the surface as though everything has gone back to normal. Uh, but in the background, you, you, know, you start to get these, you, you start to pick up on what's happening. You know, there's a Senate committee that has concluded that there is no rational explanation for what happened. You know, they haven't like come down on you know, religion or science or anything like that. It's just, hey, uh, 2% of the, the world's population, like 180 million people just disappeared overnight. We don't have an explanation for it. Go on with your life. And the show is basically just exploring, wow, that would really fuck a lot of people up. Yeah. If you couldn't explain it. And it stays there. Like the, There are moments where, you know, it's obviously going to, like, there's a deer that it seems like, oh, the deer is looking at the guy. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the show is instead not trying to necessarily suggest there are hidden meanings and answers, but more that when faced with stuff like this, just like when people are faced with death, you know, the death of a, of a loved one, people tend to look for meaning. Mm-hmm. So I think the show will actually, in a weird meta way, comment on the sort of thing that Lost did, which was actually embed hidden meaning in the world by embedding hidden meaning that doesn't mean anything because people are just looking for it. Right, if, you, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so they're 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 throwing some red herrings in there, but their their greater conceit is that there is no greater meaning to be found in all this. You can't explain it, so this is just an exploration of what people try to do in those kinds of situations. Yeah, they're red herrings for the characters, right. not the audience. Like the audience is aware that they are a red herrings, or that people are ascribing meaning where there is none, and then you know that's just a way of people sort sure. of rationalizing their way through. Uh, like a, a long worldwide grieving process. It's, it's interesting. It's really dark. It, I've heard it only gets like darker. All the reviews I've read were like, hey, do you want to not feel good this summer? Watch The Leftovers. I do want to not feel good this summer. This is uh, the, the feel bad summer of all time, and I am definitely looking forward to hating myself. So this should be good. I, I yeah. yeah, I've been looking for a show like that for a while. Uh you know, it's not like there's any shortage of downer TV on right now, but not a lot of it is very good in my opinion. So, you know, I've been been itching to try something new. Maybe this will be it. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But I like I, you know, as someone who digs post-apocalyptic stuff, especially when it's not just like, here's another bunch of people scavenging through the ruined society, you know, kind of stuff, because that's kind of been done to death. I like the idea of a post-apocalypse where there wasn't really an apocalypse. It's just that no one knows what to do anymore. That sounds interesting to me. Yeah. So it's pretty good. Cool. Um, I don't. We, I guess we could talk about video games. I mean, I talked about Shovel Knight. That's a video game. We're done yeah. with that for today. We've had enough. Uh, <laughs> what What did you play this weekend? Did you uh, Did you jump into anything? I continued. I continued down the Watch Dogs path. Uh, a game that uh, it's a good time filler. I could see. Uh, it's you know if that game was not sixty dollars. There were, there were worse things you could you could do with your money more you know I, I've talked about this before but more than anything that game just it just bums me out because it's disappointing mm-hmm. I, I feel like it just does so little with its with its premise I mean this is a game ostensibly about hacking in which at every turn the game says you know what would make this easier like just shooting that dude in the head yeah there there are the game does present you with options in a lot of scenarios in which you can uh, hack your way through but here's the thing even the hacking encourages killing. Right. So most of the hacking that you're allowed to do uh, is either, like, exploding transformers or uh, blowing up steam pipes or triggering grenades on people's uh, vests uh, or uh, lifting up objects in the environment that allow you to use them as cover. So, yes, you can use hacking to make situations easier, but even the hacking tends to fall on the side of making it easier for you to kill everyone yeah. and it just doesn't it's it's just really frustrating because the game you know I feel like it would be a really interesting 
it would, the game could be a lot more interesting if they had played into that hand a little bit more. Like, it's fine if it just wants to be Grand Theft Auto with light hacking. Mm -hmm. It's just that the main character is this, you know, master hacker that hangs out with all these other master hackers, and yet you can't really put any of that to good use. It's more just a special effect to give you some magic powers that has some sort of grounding uh, in, in reality. Just think, and, think, uh, think of the guns as the ultimate hacking tool. Think of bullets, uh, it, it, like you shooting bullets as human. Like you're hacking, you're hacking people to death with with guns. That's what that's what that is. That's how it all fits together. Like look at Quadrilateral Cowboy. That's a fucking game about hacking. Sure, yes. And that game, you know, obviously is is going to to one extreme. If you're not familiar with Quadrilateral Cowboy, which, like, God, every time I see a little bit of that game, I, I am extremely excited about it because it's it's a game that seems like it's going to be able to recreate the sense or the pleasure that folks must get, I assume folks get, mm. from hacking for people that don't know how to program. Right. Uh, you know, you're still doing some light uh, abstract programming in Quadrilateral Cowboy, but that's also a title that it's hard to say. Try not say, try not say too many times. Uh, like, yeah, like it's, those games could not be on, you know, polar opposites there where, uh, yeah, you have one that's actually trying to abstract hacking and give you a sense of what it's like to program uh, objects in the world and sort of bend them to your will, uh, whereas Watch Dogs is more or less, you know, it's a magical phone right. uh, that allows you to, to bend things to uh, your whim. And it's just, I, I, I've spent all of my skill points in Watch Dogs on, on hacking, which has made it at least a little bit more enjoyable. Like, if you go full in on the skill tree, uh, you do get some more options. But it's like now I'm getting all a couple of interesting options, you know, eight-tenths through the game, uh, which it would have been nice to to have those earlier. It just, man, Watch Dogs feels like I have not played a game that feels more stapled together in a long, long time. Mm. It just, I, the development of that game, I imagine, must have been fairly, I guess interesting would be a word, but it, it feels like, hey, guys, just put this shit together and ship it. We'll, we'll figure out what we're going to do uh, the next time around. Uh, but, you know, it works for Ubisoft, so I... I can't really complain about their approach. I can complain about their approach, right. but it seems to be doing pretty well for them. Yeah, it, we're never actually going to hear the story about that game's development, I'm guessing. Uh, or if we do, it's going to be after a whole bunch of people who made that game either are laid off or quit that company uh, and their their non-disclosure agreements eventually expire, uh, which is unfortunate because I bet, like you said, I bet there's a really good story behind how everything in that game came to be exactly the way it is. Uh, I mean, it might be as simple. It's probably just as simple as... We gotta ship that game. I don't care what you have to do. Just put it put oh, it together. I'm, I'm, and get it out the door. I guarantee that's the, the the onus behind it. But I bet some of the conversations that had to be had among people to make that game into something shippable uh, were probably pretty interesting. Yeah, is all I'm implying. So, yeah, uh, that's really all I play because that game is uh, is not short. Yeah, it's not exceptionally long. I'm pretty close to the end. I finished up uh, Act Three three and there are five but five doesn't count it's basically just an epilogue mission so i have mm. like six or seven missions uh, left so i'm gonna try and finish that up before i head to uh wisconsin for family stuff wisconsin uh, weekend yeah wisconsin wisconsin uh, you know there's freedom gotta celebrate freedom this week um yes i'm told freedom was born this week yeah it's uh it seems like an all right thing you know who's gonna be in town this weekend Who's going to be Kara Ellison. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I might end up going hang out with her with some other people at some point, or at least that was that was bandied about during uh, drinks earlier this week. But yeah, that might happen. Uh, apparently, she's here for like weeks. So as she as she tends she's to just, do. Hey, she just cruises from city to city, just not giving a fuck. Crashing on couches, writing about video games, writing about life. It's a hell of a lifestyle she's got going on. Yeah, it sounds exhausting. Uh, if uh, people have uh, questions they want to drop uh, in the chat, we can uh, get some stuff after we uh, look a little bit of news. There's a little bit of stuff, not that much going on. Here's an here's an interesting one. Okay. That I thought uh, had inspired a, a bit of debate over the weekend. So I have not played, but I am familiar with, as I assume you are, Planetary Annihilation. I'm aware of it. Yeah. The yeah the uh, the Uber uh, RTS uh, that is currently in early access. They were on Kickstarter. So someone spotted that that game was available at retail, like it's early access edition of Planetary Annihilation. Wait, what? That uh, 
comes with a free upgrade to the full game, is what the box says. Oh. But it is currently selling at retail. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where. Uh, I'm trying to pick that up from the story I'm glancing at. But it is at retail for $39.99. It's an early access game. And then, obviously, because you bought early access, you get access to the the full game when it's finished. But I, for some reason, this has really rubbed people the wrong way. I'm wondering, I'm wondering before I weigh in, I'm wondering what you think about that. I'm guessing the reason it rubs people the wrong way is the idea that early access as a retail product you can buy in stores is inherently kind of shady. Um, I'm not sure that it is because it's just a different way of selling the same product you're selling digitally, which I think it's weird. I don't know why you would put that in stores to begin with. Uh, but that said, I don't think it's any shadier than just cr like selling a game in early access. It's the same basic idea. It's just that you're putting a box copy in a store, which again, I think is a little odd. I don't know why you would do that to begin with, but inherently you're still selling the same product you'd be selling digitally. So I don't necessarily think it's any worse unless it's like a cost thing. I don't, I don't, I don't really see a huge issue with it other than it being kind of bizarre. Yeah, I, how is it, it this is more you're getting this is better than a pre-order <laughs> have we verified like what stores this was in like where it was it was being sold let's see if i can uh let's see game informer has uh, a story hmm. let's see game informer we've reached out to developer uber to ask about selling an early access game at retail john maver one of the directors of the game wrote in an email to game informer at Uber, we've been trying really hard to innovate on business models during the entire development of Planetary Annihilation. We had planned to do a retail release all along, and the early access box came as part of an experimental attitude. Since early access works so well, our partners at Nordic thought it would be worth trying an early access retail edition, and we agreed it was a cool idea. Um, it doesn't say where. Although the... Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't think it's thirty nine ninety nine. I think it is... Oh, okay. Yeah, it's got a Peggy logo. So that's that's UK money. Right. That's Europe money. I don't know what that translates to, but whatever. It's over twenty dollars. Right. Uh, I, but I guess I could I could see the kind of person these days, other than someone that's going into retail because they want to own a box, like they they really want the physical edition of the game, either because it comes with some sort of goodies or they this game's really important to them, so they want to own a physical edition of the box it can seem like does someone know what early access means the kind of typical consumer that is going to buy a game i think that maybe might be where it's rubbing people a little bit the wrong way is that like a also that a retail version sort of suggests the game is done yeah you know yeah. like the, the the traditional idea of a box is that you're buying a finished game at a store as opposed to this where you are buying access to a game that will eventually be done and then one assumes will also then be sold at a store. Well, as someone in the chat mentioned, though, I mean, to be fair, Big Rigs was a boxed game that was sold in stores. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't... That is not necessarily a guarantee. It is. It should be a guarantor, but it is not. Um, but, yeah, that's a fair point. Like, the, the notion that you... The presumption being that the, the consumer who is going out and buying boxed PC games doesn't necessarily know what early access is or doesn't necessarily know what any of this other shit means. Uh, that's fair. Uh, it is th There is a certain amount of onus that I think is on the consumer to, you know, kind of be somewhat informed about what these things are. I, I have a hard time envisioning some random person who doesn't know very much about video games just walking into a store going, Planetary Annihilation, that sounds great, and then just buying that, what, like, sight unseen. That said... I still don't think it's a huge deal because if it says early access on the box, they're doing this in a limited capacity and, you know, it's still the same thing you'd be buying digitally. I, I don't think it's bad. I do think it's weird, but I don't think it's inherently an awful thing. That's just me. That's where I come out on it. Yeah, I think it's I, I think the, the reason it's inspiring uh, sort of like a lot of hand wringing is because, yeah, it's it's. Well, I think people are getting a little bit uncomfortable with the continued uh, spread, if that's the right, if that's the right terminology. Sure. Like, 
like are games ever finished these days i think there's like increasing feeling like you know look at like battlefield 4 right Right. Uh, a game that had an enormous amount of retail success uh, despite the fact that it was completely fucked at launch uh, and it does not appear that ea was you know uh, punished in any sort of capacity uh, for shipping a broken unfinished game that certainly did not have any early access moniker mm-hmm. uh, so I think there's maybe just a general sort of distrust that I th- that comes along with this uh, a little just not knowing who to believe what to believe uh, and also I think there's a, a culture shift that's happening where there are demographics of people that play games that are completely comfortable with early access and demographics of players who are deeply uncomfortable uh, with the idea of early access, sure. uh, I think I think out of this idea that you don't know what you're getting. Yeah, you don't. You definitely don't know what you're getting. And you know, I mean, I I, I don't have anything to add to this. You know, I've kind of said my piece on it. I think that you know, if you're if someone is going in and just buying Planetary Annihilation in a box and they are upset that they have gotten an early access product, even though it says early access on the box, then I kind of can't do anything to help that person. Uh, I think that, again, this sounds like it's a one-off thing. It's kind of a a, a limited release. It's not something that is necessarily looking to become a widespread thing. I think if it does become a widespread thing, that is weird. I don't think it should necessarily. But again, this is the thing that they are currently selling on Steam. It is, you know, I have my own reservations about early access in general. I think that there is still a certain amount of weirdness around that. But I also think that, you know, they're just selling the same product they'd be selling otherwise, and that's that's fine. They should do that. That's that's a weird thing. Whoever gets that box copy is going to treasure that always, I'm sure. But whatever. <laughs> In three years, there aren't going game... to be box copies of anything anymore. So who cares? Yeah, I, you know what? I bet no one buys Planetary Annihilation at early access. I bet there is a lot of hand wringing over what it means. Mm-hmm. But I I cannot imagine it's going to move a lot of copies. It really does seem like Uber is actually being earnest in their response, which is to say, Nordic said, do you want to try this? And Uber said, why not? Uh, Because obviously they're a company that is trying to explore what exactly the early access business model means. I mean, there's been uh, questions. One One of the interesting ones I've seen developers wrestle with is the idea of, putting early access games on sale. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's take one extreme. Uh, is It's still a kind of planetary annihilation, which I, I don't know if it was this uh, summer sale or if it was in a recent sale, but the game was significantly uh, off uh, its normal price. Let me pull up planetary annihilation. Yeah, right now it is... Oh, no, wait, that's... Uh, let's see. This is sixteen ninety nine, but I think it's... Okay, it's normally forty nine. No, I can't see this price. I can't steam. Let me see the price you're trying to hide. Anyway, hold on. This part doesn't matter. No. Uh, the Planetary Annihilation is on sale right now. Now, Vlambeer, who has Nuclear Throne, which is currently also on early access, mm-hmm. refuses to put their game on sale because the char the price they are charging, uh, they believe, is a premium that ensures they get folks that are interested in participating in the early development of a video game and being a participant in that and they also don't feel comfortable changing the price because it suggests that the game is more finished than it is right like they want to make the game cheaper to bring in more people to play it when the game is in a stage aka finished uh, in order to do that which i think is an interesting I suppose ethical. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe you know ethics maybe you know puts a little too much weight on it, but uh, I think that is actually what those developers are trying to suss out is the ethics of early access and sales culture and what you're saying when you know you put a in development game two thirds uh, cheaper than what you're you're currently charging. For. And it is interesting to see companies kind of try and suss this out in a very public way because you know pricing isn't something that you can really. Uh, obscure from the public like you have to put that out there and you know trying to debate and, and and conceptualize what the ethics of something like early access are in terms of sales and all this stuff like this is fairly uncharted territory and it's interesting to see how companies approach this stuff I I might tend to lean on Lambeer's side on this one I do think the idea of sales for early access stuff is a little weird it does 
kind of to me imply a slightly more finished product, but maybe that's just my old thinking. I don't know. Maybe this is other people would disagree with me on this. Uh, I mean, again, the the whole landscape for what early access is, what you know, what what it means for the grand scheme of things, is still very much untested. Like there are now a lot of early access games, but there weren't like even a year ago. Um, so it's it's we are watching this all unfold in real time. We are watching these experiments happen, you know, very much in plain view. And honestly, I kind of don't know what to make of it. A lot of it, like I, I I'm I'm still just sort of like I'm very hesitant to even jump in on most early access games unless it's for you know testing or like work stuff. Like I'm I'm still sort of uncomfortable with the idea of paying for early access games just for my own amusement because. I don't know. I just so something about it. I still just don't completely trust yet, and I'm not sure if that's just because I'm used to paying for games that are done. I'm the idea of slapping the early access badge on it just makes me feel a little wary of it, and I don't know if that's that's reasonable or not. I'm I feel like I'm still trying to figure that out. For me, I've got enough games that I haven't played that are already out. Mm-hmm. I don't need to add to that backlog with games that are done. That's 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 my like very simple take on it is you know washing aside all sorts of you know certainly uh, legitimate questions about early access and the ethics of it and why developers do it and why some genres are better suited than others for me it's like a really basic question of like i have x amount of time to play games i don't need to add to that pile any more than at the pace that these games are hitting 1.0 and actually coming yeah out. yeah that's all i have to say about Here's all that. A- uh, no, I'm going to force you to say five more minutes. Okay. Uh, video Video Game King has a, has a good question. It's kind of a uh, tangentially related sure. to the idea of, you know, early access game comes out and then it gets better. And, you know, obviously, you know, your opinion can change on it. Uh, video Game King says, uh, have you e- either of you ever changed your opinion on a game significantly after publishing a review of it? Now, I you know, suspect that wouldn't change so much like the day after no. where you're like, yep, oh, I was super wrong on that. But obviously... You know, reviews are, you know, I think a snapshot in time mm-hmm. of how you felt about a game at that time, you know, what games were like then, you know, how you felt about it. Uh, but I think, you know, yeah, I, th- I think you you can have an opinion change over time. Is there is there a game that stands out for you that whether you liked or disliked that changed a little bit, like five ten years later oh, there are lots of games that have changed a little bit like there if i go back and i read any of my old GameSpot reviews like i can certainly say like you know i probably would have scored that a full point lower now or a full point higher uh just kind of based on you know my uh, growth and and change of opinions about about genres and and types of games in general um there aren't any that i would say were super drastic like i i would go back like for instance when i was reviewing uh beyond two souls uh, I went back and I played some of uh, uh, Indigo Prophecy, which I had not played in a very, very long time. Uh, and I was very favorable toward that game when it came out because it seemed like a very novel thing. Uh, you know, I, I gave it a, like an 8.4 or something, and I, I said a lot of stuff about the story that if I were to go back and, and play that game again now, I don't think I would necessarily be as kind to the story in that game because when I was like 22 and game stories weren't really much of a thing that were ever fleshed out at all, it seemed really impressive. Now, years later, yes, game narrative still has a lot of problems, but I, I feel like that game does not hold up to the light of, you know, video game storytelling nearly as well as it did back then. Uh, and also just kind of seeing some of the, the, the tricks and tropes that, that David Cage tends to employ throughout all of his games, uh, that game seems less interesting to me uh, in retrospect. But... That said, it's not like a huge drastic thing. Like I would not score it as highly now, but I don't hate it all of a sudden. Like there isn't any game that I've gone all the way from saying, yeah, I really liked this to totally hating it or necessarily vice versa. It's usually like kind of more subtle shifts for me. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's kind of how I tend to be. I I think that's a really good example actually of like exactly what I was thinking about because yes, like your feelings on Indigo Prophecy may have soured or or you know gone on an exponentially downward slope over time as you've learned more about David Cage and his storytelling ambitions or you know his his flaws as a creator have become more exposed as he's become more prominent and, and made more games nonetheless in that moment in time when Indigo Prophecy was released yeah. set against what games were trying to do or not trying to do 
Like, yeah, Indigo Prophecy goes completely off the rails at the end. Yeah. But the things it was trying to do, the ambitions it had, were pretty amazing at the time. And that was worth celebrating. Like, sometimes, like, flawed ambition is worth celebrating, even if over time that flawed ambition becomes increasingly, uh, glaringly flawed, yeah. <laughs> more flawed than ambitious. Because as time goes on, the ambition is replaced with games that do it better exactly so you can't you can't look at it as glowingly 10 years later because ambition is hard, is context right like it's 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 what it was like at the time and unless you were there unless you play were playing the games at the time knew what storytelling uh, was like for games there's no way to to genuinely you know appreciate that that's hard you know that's the tough part about playing games out of sequence uh, especially if you weren't uh, sort of like playing a lot of them at the in that in that era is because you know, there's there's just really no way to convey that. It was just, it's kind of just what it was like at the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, you know, for me, it's like, it is, it is just that sort of like de- developing, developing tastes. You know, like developing and and also just sort of the advancements of the of 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 games in general. Like that will naturally kind of sour you on some older things because they start to feel kind of antiquated and and clunky in a way. But you know, in the case of something like Indigo Prophecy, it is very much just about like you know my tastes kind of growing and sort of there being a lot more games that try to deliver that kind of narrative experience and doing it better. So yeah, like you said, it's just in retrospect, it doesn't have nearly the same impact. So yeah, if I was reviewing it now for some reason, I wouldn't give it anywhere near as high of a score. But at the time when I was like 22, 23 years old, I hadn't played a lot of games like that at all. Uh, it seemed really refreshing and exciting and crazy. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think that negates uh, what I felt about it at the time. But, yeah, I mean, some games just don't hold up the same way. And some games, you know, in weird ways kind of become better over time. I don't know. It's it's that's just kind of the nature of things like people. Dis- sometimes people discover things really later on and be like, hey, this is kind of actually an accidental piece of genius that nobody discovered. And some things that were great back in the day just don't hold up. That's that's the nature of all art, really. Artist David Cage. Yeah, David Cage's art. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> uh, sub O, any comment on uh, Summer Games Done Quick? Uh, that was one of the uh, stories I had pulled up, if uh, nothing else, than to uh, congratulate them on raising $700,000 uh, for charity over the uh, couple of days of playing um, uh, games really fast. And we should give a shout out to uh, the Giant Bomb community right. for raising more than $6,000. Uh, for uh, the dumb joke that uh, a reader came up with, and then I helped get the ball rolling on, which was to uh, name uh, Mr. Jeff Gersman after Yoshi in a Paper Mario uh, Thousand Year Door. Uh, there is a furious charity battle, as much as you can call raising money for charity a battle, uh, between uh, Jeff and a another streamer, I think a, 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 a speedrunner, yeah. uh, whose name is, uh, currently escapes me, but uh, it seemed like Jeff was in the lead, and then it just, man, it went back and forth and back and forth. And I mean, there were you know folks that uh, contributed as much as five hundred dollars in individual donations uh, to keep that uh, that joke alive. And at the end of the day, uh, <laughs> Jeff was named after Yoshi, and then it resulted in a very humorous video. Oh man! Of no one really, no one really understanding why what this joke was or why it was funny, and then also being like kind of upset. When they discovered that it was about a guy who doesn't like Yoshi. The best part of that video is the part where they mention the reviewer who gave Twilight Princess an 8.8, but they don't know that that's Jeff Gers. Like, they don't put those pieces together. Uh, It's It's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to watch unfold. Like, it's just. To know. To just watch it as an outsider is just. Ah, it's. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you know what? Like, you know. Try Hex, who's the guy who was not a fan of Jeff, is is a great guy who does some amazing Yoshi's Island speedruns. Not everyone is aware of our tiny little bubble of the universe. No, no. And it's very fun to watch that play out in other ways. It's really great when our little bubble of the universe finds a way to infect the rest of the world and, and, <laughs> and that strain starts to spread a little bit. Like, I, I, I am always very glad when that happens. And in this case... It was for a good cause. It was a very exciting, wonderful thing to happen. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I, I imagine Jeff thinks that's all pretty great. 
you know, I imagine that in, in the grand scheme of things, Jeff is pretty glad that this is how it all turned out. Like, he'll 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 play the grump. He'll be like, oh, why'd you name me after a Yoshi? But no, deep down, Jeff's happy about it. Yeah, so good for them uh, and good for the community for, for raising all that money for a really good cause and a really dumb joke. That's, I can't ask, I couldn't ask for any, I was, just, I was at a bar on Friday, like having to go to the outside area because there was bad cell uh, signal inside. Uh, just like, what did, why do you keep running outside? It's like, oh, I can't explain why I'm doing that. It's, that's going to be a nightmare to explain to the average person. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. I'm just looking at a charity thing that I was a part of. And then just just left that's it that. that's probably the best way you could have delivered that uh, speaking of which um, or speaking of money uh, dota 2 has raised 10 million dollars for the upcoming international prize pool uh, it's part of valve's you know sort of crowdfunding uh, that they've done in the past where you uh, where valve basically forwards 250 to the prize pool for every ten dollar compendium uh, that's purchased. Uh, as well as 25% of the money spelled, spent on compendium points. Uh, and the compendium is sort of like a Dota 2 almanac right. that uh, people can purchase. But yeah, $10 million. It's a really high number for a prize pool for a video game. And I understand that yeah. the, the international is a huge thing now, that Dota has a very large player base, that, you know, it, 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 very big competitive scene. Like, all these things fit together. I get it. Still, that number attached to uh, any sort of gaming competition still kind of just fucking blows my mind, man. That is crazy. Yeah, and also Valve takes a cut of that stuff. Of course they do. Of course they do. <laughs> so, on one hand, yes, it's terrific. Look at all this money that's being raised uh, to be given out to uh, you know the, the highest uh, level players of Dota 2, but also, man, Valve swimming in that cash. Swimming in that cash. Yeah, good for them, I guess. Uh, Bungie uh, announced that uh, sort of the conclusion of this, the uh, the Wizards from the Moon arc of uh, the, the joke that transfixed the internet for about a week is that uh, the bunch of the voice acting was not final. Uh. The upcoming uh, the upcoming ver- betas of the game will reflect uh, changes that have happened um, and they also pushed back on this notion that Destiny had like a $500 million uh, budget. Uh, I didn't read enough into uh, how exactly they pushed back on that, but I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised that that was a bit of an exaggerated figure. Um, well, I, I felt like that number came out of a lot of people guesstimating what the marketing for that game is. Because I think the, there was something that is, and maybe they're disputing this too, but there, there was something that established that at least a couple hundred million had been spent on development of that game, which that number by itself does not sound completely insane when you consider how many years that large of a team has been working on one game. Like, that's high, but sure, okay. The 500, I thought, was them factoring in marketing and, and everything else, you know, advertising for that game down the road which is what a lot of uh, film-like journalists will do now when they're talking about film budgets because they're trying to factor in the budget for marketing, which is never in the actual film budget. So, yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, that's that, yeah. That's one of those things where movies are, yes, more transparent than games in terms of, uh, you know, you, you in terms of, you know, how much it takes to, to make these things. But that, yeah, you're right. That's the, the gray area where a... You know, when the box office numbers come out, you know, whatever that makes back, you know, you can't, it's not one-to-one with the budget no. because the budget is just, especially in today's, uh, you know, blockbuster uh, marketing, you know, the, 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 the marketing budgets can sometimes exceed uh, or it seems like, you know, often exceed, you know, the budget just to make the thing yep. in the first place. Yeah, like I would imagine that all of those Assassin's Creed games, especially three with the way they were advertising it, like I wouldn't be surprised if they spent more on marketing that game like than than actually making it and i feel like that's starting to become much more of a regular thing like the call of duty games like the amount of money they spend on marketing those games i wouldn't be surprised if that exceeds what they're actually the development teams are spending making them that is true uh let's see let's try and pull out uh, another question or two before we wrap it up and this will be the the one show that we we do this week because 
Yo, we get Friday oh, off. Oh, yeah, we do, don't we? Shit. Free, like, f freedom and... Freedom! Stuff and stuff and freedom stuff and... I don't know. I'm not going to question it. You, just, you take that day off and you run with it. I'm, I'm going to run with that day straight into drinking. What are you doing for the 4th? you doing anything fancy? I don't think I'm going to do anything on the 4th. Uh, there's supposed to be, like, thunderstorms that day here, so probably not uh, a real good barbecue mm -hmm. day. But uh, I, I think there's stuff going on this weekend. So at some point, I will probably end up on a rooftop with a beer, and that will be fun. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I go to uh, my parents' lake house, and then I get to there, – there's a uh, – we have some friends that have a private pier, and then I sit on a floaty in the water with the beer and watch the fireworks happen right above me. It's pretty God, good. that sounds great. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's definitely one of the things I look forward to uh, the most during the year. Uh, so thanks, America, for that. Uh, definitely appreciate it. Hmm, yeah, I don't really see any other – any other question? Are you going to play any games this week? Is there anything you're going to catch up on with an extra day? Oh, let's see. I'm going to have a review of Valiant Hearts either today or tomorrow. Um, okay. I'm, That's right. we got to do work yeah, this week before we I'm get I'm just there. about done with that game. Uh, I really like it still, so that, that will have a review soon. Uh, I will probably try and finish Shovel Knight. I have downloaded Broforce. I have not played Broforce yet. Uh, I'm going to play some Broforce. Uh, that is kind of all I have on my docket right now. I downloaded a couple of things on Steam sale that uh, I have not touched yet. Uh, I downloaded, like, Revengeance, finally, so I think I might actually dig into that at some point. Um, that's kind of all I got on my plate. How about you? Uh, Lost Remnant has a good question, at least for myself. He says, I know you aren't too keen in early access, but any plans to play the Alpha of the Forest? Uh, yes, uh, I do want to check that out. Uh, I will probably try... Uh, and maybe give that a look uh, during uh, uh, this coming weekend and maybe try and do an unfinished of that uh, at, at some point. Uh, some folks have suggested that could potentially be uh, a cool bit for uh, Spooking with Scoops, but I don't know if there's enough to that game yet uh, for it to function in that capacity, but there's probably enough there uh, to put together uh, a little video, and I've heard promising things about it, so uh, yeah, uh, look for that. Maybe not this week, but uh, maybe... Maybe next week. Uh, yeah, I need to play Valiant Hearts. That's next up. Once I finish this one Ubisoft game, I'm just, I'll move on to this other Ubisoft game. Well, let me tell you, uh, you so are I, moving I to better Ubisoft game. So you were, you were going to be, you were moving up. Uh, someone was asking anything from Vinny and I this week. I don't know. I'm going in tomorrow uh, and Thursday. We'll we'll see if we have time to shoot anything this week. Vinny is still setting up some stuff. I think we have some more shopping to do this week because. We are now entering Q3, so we might actually have the budget freed up to uh, do some of the, the 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 equipment shopping we need to do. So, all right, tomorrow's July first. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll capex. What what? We'll probably record ourselves doing some stuff this week, but uh, I don't know if it'll go up this week or not. We'll see. Cool. All right. Well, I think that we're gonna bring this to a close. Uh, yeah, we will not have a show on Friday because we will be uh, America, yeah. and then we'll be back on Monday though. And that'll be a week. So, Alex, I will, I will talk to you then. Happy freedom, Patrick. Oh yeah, freedom. Freedom, yeah.